Um, Ephesians chapter 4, we've already looked at verses 1 through 6 in dealing with unity of the body of Christ. Uh, before I get into that, I'll just review where we've been. In verses in chapters 1 and 2, we saw Christ's deity. Chapters 3 and 4, we're talking about the church's unity. And then, then when we get to chapters 5 and 6, we'll see the Christian's duty. And we'll start looking at some of that at the end, actually, of chapter 4. And so um, in the breakdown of chapters 3 through 4... Uh, we saw in chapters 3, 1 through 12, the revelation to the body of Christ. We saw in verses 13 through 21 of chapter 3, intercession for the body of Christ. As Paul, the apostle, introduced himself as Paul, uh, the prisoner. And then he went into a series of intercessory prayers, and we covered that. And then last time we got together, a couple weeks ago, we were in Ephesians 4. And uh, I got through the first six verses dealing with the uh, unity of the body of Christ. And then uh, tonight we're going to look at the diversity of the gifts of the body of Christ. And then when we get to Ephesians 4, 14 through 32, we'll see the responsibility of the members of the body of Christ before we jump into uh, chapter 5 and 6, dealing with the Christian's duty. All right, so there's a little bit about the outline. If you've been following along, that's all review up to this point, so that's good. Um, and so uh, I don't have an outline, uh, so you guys are kind of out of luck tonight. So uh, we're going to go ahead and just continue through. I have an outline, you don't, so... Uh, you'll just have to take good notes. So let's go ahead and look at the text, Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read down through verse uh, 13. And uh, if we get further than that tonight in the time we have, that'll be great. But I think that's as far as we'll go. Uh, remembering, let me just kind of back up in context so we can remember what Paul said uh, prior to even uh, verse 4, 4 and verse 1, I should say, chapter 4 and verse 1. Because he starts off with, therefore, the prisoner. I therefore the prisoner. When you see therefore, you got to know what it's there for. And so Paul backs up to, I want to back you up to verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell, this is chapter 3 and verse 17, in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. That's pretty huge. Amen. So be it. Then Paul comes in in chapter 4 and says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. I've already told you I'm a prisoner. I've told you that again in the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1. At the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, but I'm asking, I'm strongly encouraging you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity, there's the big unity word, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you're called of one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We talked about all of that. And that led us to verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and, verse 6, he's in you all. So the Father is in us all. That's going to tie nicely into what we're going to talk about when we get to verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he now that he ascended, what is he that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Question mark. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, 
that he might fill all things. And you might be checking with me, verse 10, with chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Uh, or I'm sorry, verse 19. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be uh, filled with all the fullness. Well, we, we know in verse 10 that he's filling all things. Okay, so verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long? Good question. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, here's the word again, unto uh, stature of the fullness of Christ. And then, uh, and then we'll get into verse 14, uh, if, probably not tonight, but next week. Uh, but he, I will go ahead and read that, that we henceforth, right, from here on out, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Uh, then we have the duty of speaking truth in love. And I'll just get into that as we go further. But tonight I just want to park on really the verses 6 through 13. And kind of kind of bust this down uh, as best we can in the time that we have. So we've talked about the unity of the body of Christ. We saw who should walk worthy of the vocation, and that's us, it's all of us. Uh, and we talked about how the vo- vocation that word. Does anybody remember what does that word mean? Vocation. You slept. It's been a couple weeks. Now, when you think of vocation, you probably think of like, well, it's a it's it's a job. But that's not what. If you remember, anybody remember? Uh-oh. Nice mask, Amy Jo. Um, it's uh, calling. Calling. You remember that? I'll stir up your pure minds. You guys have slept since then. So so we talked about how vocation is the same as calling. Uh, the Greek word there is, is calling, and it's actually translated calling uh, in 11 other places, 11 places it's used in that context. And we talked about the difference between ye and you, how ye is plural, and there's a unity of all of us. We're all called. So that's that's kind of that's rehashing stuff we've already went over, but we talked about that the who and the how uh, we're to walk worthy of the vocation, the calling wherewith we're called in verse two with all lowliness and meekness and long suffering, forbearing one another in love, and so lowliness and meekness should mark us in our walk with long suffering, uh, which is self-explanatory, uh, but that's a doctrine that's very important. Or to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine and teaching, right? Because there's going to come a time like right now where people will not endure sound doctrine. So uh, so we're to be long-suffering and patient and preach and teach pure, good, solid doctrine even when people don't want to hear it because that's the times before the Lord returns. And, and so we're, walk, we're also to walk worthy of the vocation. Uh, it means the forbearing one another in love. He mentions forbearing. And so we talked about that. And I put up a chart uh, and talked about how we should walk with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. And then contrast to that, how we shouldn't walk, which would be pride. Uh, the contrast of lowliness and meekness was pride and arrogance and self-will. The opposite of long-suffering is being impatient, short-tempered, sharp-tongued. We talked about that. Uh, the opposite of forbearing one another in love is, is uh, putting your needs ahead of others, being selfish and covetous. I just did a devotion this morning about how uh, God, you know, how uh, Gad and Reuben didn't want to enter the promised land. They wanted to keep their inheritance on the east side of Jordan. But God, in, in, even in that, God was like, you know what, I'll give you some grace as long as you put that on hold and let every, and go in with everybody else and help them get their inheritance, right? So 
they put the needs of others ahead of themselves, and God gave them a dispensation of grace to uh, not really get all their inheritance. They got less than what God had for them, but God was like, that's okay. If that's what you want to do, as long as you put others ahead of yourself. And, uh, and so God honored that because God's good that way. Uh, and, of course, uh, when we had that discussion, I brought up what, what, the, what Paul said, the Lord said in Acts twenty thirty five, which is it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we talked about making an effort to walk worthy of the vocation. Uh, that's something that we, sh- we got to endeavor to do. To in- we got to endeavor to keep the bond, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace um, because the source of the unity is the Lord, right? The one, the one faith, the one baptism. Uh, we talked about all of that, the ones, uh, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who's above all, through all, and in you all. And so we're not divided because, and this is important, this is a good segue into where we're going tonight. We're not divided uh, because this, the Spirit's not divided. The body of Christ isn't divided because the Spirit of God's not divided. So, um, and, and in this passage, we talked about how the uh, Godhead was revealed. There's one Spirit, uh, the Holy Ghost, uh, obviously one Lord, um, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and one Father of all. So you got the Son or the Spirit, the, the Son, and the Father, kind of in descending order instead of ascending order. We usually think of the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. But in Ephesians, it's the opposite. It starts with the Spirit. Uh, in Ephesians chapter, in, in this list of ones, it starts with the Spirit, then it deals with the Lord, who's the Son, and then it goes to the Father, who is the Father of us all. All right, so that's where we left off in verse 5. So that picks us up in verses 5 and 6, and now we're down to verse uh, 7. Um, and so as we look at this text, uh, the first thing I want to point out tonight is that we see God's unity. Um, uh, as we see God's unity, we can also see the beauty of his diversity. So those are not c- conflicting comments. Those aren't conflicting things. It's all about unity up through verse 6. And then all of a sudden, he kind of turns the corner in chapter 7, and it's all about diversity. So let's look at the text a little closer to see what I'm talking about, because you may not just notice that on a casual read. It says, but unto every one of us, now, right away, it's dealing with individuals. Every one of us, he went from ye uh, to, to you, right? Uh, Wherefore he saith, I'm sorry, verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And so now he's dealing with individuals, whereas up to verse 6, he's dealing with the whole church. He's dealing with the Godhead. He's dealing with all being one in Christ. Now he says, but every one of you. Uh, has been given uh, something, uh, and that's something that's been given to you. Um, well, it's the gift of the Holy Ghost is where we're heading. Um, and so unity um, is important, and it really highlights the beauty of God's diversity. And those don't have to be at odds with one another. Today, the devil has our culture completely enraptured in, in schisms over this very subject. Diversity is not congruent. Um, I mean, people are just, it's, they're at odds with each other. But in Christ, diversity is a great thing. And so, you know, if you go to work and you have to endure diversity training, you know, you want to kill yourself because it's just, it's just never ending. Um, but the, biblically speaking, God is very diverse, but he's also very unified. And I know that sounds like I'm speaking, you know, in circles, but it's really true. And we're going to talk about that. So if you were taking notes, point A, under diversity of the body of Christ, uh, is what we're talking about tonight. So point A would be lessons learned from studying God's unity of the body of Christ. So what we've already covered is God's unity precedes our diversity. Before God talks about diversity and the individual, which is very important, um, he deals with his unity. And that's the problem that we're having in our society, right? So the reason we're having so many problems in our society regarding unity and diversity is because there's no deity. 
When you remove God from the culture, you cannot have unity or diversity. And so it's not working right now in the, in the United States of America. Uh, and so we have a problem with unity and we have a problem with diversity because, well, there's no divinity, meaning there's no God. When you remove God, there's no way for people to get along because the Spirit of God is the lubrication that, that moves all the joints together. It's a, that's why in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 3, the Philadelphian church age is, is, is unified. Brotherly love consists around the Word of God and the Spirit of God, not around the strength of the church. The strength, church has no strength, but God gives them strength, and he's the one who defeats the enemies. Going back all the way, hearkening back to the key of David, which goes all the way back to the Old Testament, David had no strength, but he had all kinds of strength. David was a unifying force, uh, but yet he had an eclectic group of people that he brought together, right? All of that is because he's a type of Christ, and unity and diversity is found in Christ. And so uh, the body is very diverse. The body of Christ is diverse, but yet we're still one because of Christ. So when you take that out of a, this country, for instance, when you go back to how uh, when Jonathan Edwards and, Jan and Madison, uh, Jonathan Edwards first was working out how to, how to decouple the congregation from the, uh, the, the overbearing Church of England, um, also Episcopalian Church is what it's called in America, when he was trying to decouple that because he knew he had a church full of people that were unregenerate, people who were not saved. They didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. They had a religion that they were born into and they were raised up. And, you know, we can go, well, man, those people are stupid. But you know what? That can happen in Baptist churches just like it did th those churches, right? And so it's so important, right? So Jonathan Edwards has a great awakening himself. And he's like, wait a minute. And so he left the, the Anglicans and became a congregational church. Uh, with, and by the way, he paid a heavy price for it. In the meantime, he wrote and that's at Yale. That's why there's a whole wing to him at Yale, because he was, he was really separating church and state, uh, and he was figuring that out. Now, he wasn't doing it in the sense of uh, the government. He was doing it. Because, well, just, he kind of was, because up until that time, there was no separation of church and state. The church ruled the state or the state ruled the church, but either way, it wasn't working very good. But, okay, so how do you bring God into a culture and separate the church from the state? Well, separation of powers. And that's basically what Madison uh, put into the Constitution. So that's all part of our Christian heritage in this continent because this was an experiment on, on, on separation of powers and separation of church and state so you could get the diversity and the unity. And that's why America doesn't work without morality. You've got to have divinity, and you've got to have people that are worshiping God freely so that there can be morality that can operate this thing because without the people being moral, it won't work. It's not designed to work that way. It can't work. And so there's all these problems that we have, and if you boil them all down, it's not about people being diverse enough or people being unified. It's really about God not being in charge, people not submitting themselves to God. And so God's unity precedes diversity. That's what we see in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. He's like, okay, before I go any further and talk, talk about you walking worthy of the vocation where you're called, or the calling, your calling starts with being unified with God, right? If you're going your own way, you're going the wrong way, period. You can apply that as a lost person. You need to get saved, but as a Christian, you're doing it, you're self-willed. You're going the wrong way. You really, all of us need to submit to God's will and go the right way. We need to be unified and lockstep with his will. Secondly, that there's no diversity without charity, right? Love is what's mentioned. Uh, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, there, um, he says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, right? And that kind of charity, that kind of love, 
is part of the divinity because true love really only comes from God. There's a there's a natural love. You know, Jesus talks about that. What father there's, who's going to give his son a serpent, and if he asks for something, he's going to give him a stone and all that. So, right, there's a natural love that God, that God puts in people. Um, but then there's the supernatural love that God gives us, and that's that Philadelphian, that charity. So, so there's no diversity without charity. And, and then there's no unit, unity uh, does not conflict with individual liberty. So it's not inconsistent for in one verse him talking about all of us being together in the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, and then suddenly in verse 7, he's like, but every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And all of a sudden he switches and starts talking about individual. I was in a really interesting discussion about this time last week, or I think it was about this time last week or last Tuesday in a pastor meeting, and this subject came up about individual soul liberty. It was really fascinating because most people don't talk about that nowadays, and uh, it was really good because it really gets back to some of these basics that you see in the Word of God and, uh, and what, a va- what a prized thing that is in our culture. Okay, so point A is just we learn a lot from verses 1 through 6. That's all I'm talking about if you're a note taker. So I've given you three things there. God's unity precedes our diversity, right? He's preeminent. Uh, the Godhead supersedes everything. It's from there that we get the love and everything that we need to have diversity with charity because we can't accept other people and we can't accept anything outside of ourselves without the love of God because we're selfish by nature. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Remember Adam? Uh, his sons, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain, Cain was self-centered, selfish. He didn't have the love of God. Man, he killed his brother. That's, that's where the culture goes if you don't have God. Okay, and then the third thing we saw is unity does not conflict with individual liberty. So it is possible to be unified and yet still give people freedom, individual liberty. And that's what God does with the Spirit. So you get, your, you get the Spirit of God. All of the Spirit of God, the moment you get saved, you get the rest of your life to figure out what you're going to do with it. And you answer for what you do. Sorry to point at you, Shane. I'll point at my wife. And you answer for what you do, Amy Jo, and I answer for what I do at the judgment seat of Christ. And yet her and I are one flesh. How about that? So it's amazing. God's pretty cool how he does all that. So point B, if you're taking notes, our diversity is found in Christ's grace to every one of us. So look back at the text there. It says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So in Ephesians 4, 7 He's telling us that everyone of us... Now, who's, who is Ephesians written to? Let me just park the car there for a second. Is it written to everybody? Right, the Ephesians and their Christians, right? So this is written to Christians. So when he says, the, but unto every one of us is given grace, he's not talking about every one of us in the world. He's talking about every one of us who is saved in the context of this, of this passage. So we cannot overstate how blessed... Uh, it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, you know, this was unheard of before Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Paul was aware of this, and that's why he's being very clear about how every one of us, every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So that leads us to a few questions of the text. If we're interrogating it, what is, what is the gift? Uh, what do you guys, what is the gift? Wherefore, we're, but, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What you, yeah, the Holy Spirit. What, salvation, Holy Spirit, salvation. Those are both right. And that's what I want to talk about. The gift of Christ is, it is the Holy Spirit and that is salvation. And so, uh, and so the, the gift of Christ, we're all one in Christ, as, but individual 
individually, uh, we're, it's according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So what does that really mean? So when we receive the gift of Christ, it's as simple as what we already saw, and most of us know the verse of Ephesians 2, 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. Right? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'd even submit to you the faith that you have to get saved is a gift from God, uh, at least the measure of faith. Uh, and so... Um, God will give you the grace to, to believe. You've got to make a decision with that. And then if you make the wrong one, that's not good. Uh, he'll give you more grace. If you are faithful of the least, he'll give you more. But, uh, but at any rate, we're, we are all one in Christ. But individually, and we're talking about the church, um, it says that there's a measure of the gift, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So when we receive the gift of Christ, we receive the Holy Ghost, which is what Ron was saying, and he's right. And we know John 3.16 for by grace are you saved, or I mean, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that giving is the action of God. He gives us his Son. Jesus, If you said Jesus Christ is the gift, you'd be right. The Holy Ghost is the gift, Jesus Christ is the gift, and salvation is the gift. Jesus' name, Jesus' name means salvation, right? So all of those are correct answers because, well, he's one. He's one. So we often say we receive Christ. Uh, well, we do. That's true. Christ means Messiah. So we do receive Christ when we get saved. We receive Christ. Uh, but when we receive Christ, we receive him as the invisible person of Christ called the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't want to split hairs, but these are, these are concepts that, that, that are laying out here in the text. So if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, where we've been, look at verse 11. It says, "...in whom also ye have obtained an inheritance..." being predestinated, and we covered all of that back in the early weeks, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. All right, so there we're trusting in Christ. We say that too. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Right, so uh, who first trusted in Christ, uh, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. All right, so this tells us that uh, we trusted in Christ, verse 12, in whom also ye trusted, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, right? We believe the gospel, we get saved. In whom, after ye believed, there's the word believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is what Ron was talking about. Uh, the gift is, is all of that. The gift of Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit. These three are one, uh, as well as the Father. So it's easy to see that believing the gospel and trusting Christ is the, same, is the same as being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise because our souls are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we're born again and we're baptized spiritually into one spirit, which is what we talked about in Ephesians 4 and verse... Uh, and verse uh, where was that? Verse... One baptism. One spirit is verse 4. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 5. That's right. So it's easy to see that, that, that those go together. And so one of the cool things about that is that the Godhead is linked together. Uh, they're all separate, but they're one. Uh, according to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, which is attacked in all the modern versions of the Bible. Um, all the, well, I shouldn't say modern. All the critical text versions of the Bible. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, which is all the modern version. Uh, it says in verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and if you study that capital W, proper noun, 
for the Word, capital W-O-R-D, that's Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. These three, uh, they don't, it doesn't say they agree in one. It says that in verse 8, but these three are one. If you have a Jehovah Witness Bible, they'll switch that around on you so that you don't understand that. So, uh, because they don't, they don't uh, accept the Godhead. And so, so it's appropriate to say that you've received Christ when you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost upon believing that Jesus Christ, believing upon Jesus Christ and calling upon his name. Now, when I say baptized in the Holy Ghost, I'm not talking about the charismatic concept of a second blessing, which they believe, uh, most of them believe, you believe upon the name of the Lord and are saved, and you have uh, the earnest of God's spirit, a down payment with the Holy Ghost, maybe, uh, and then, depending on which sect you're in, and then you get a second blessing where the Holy Ghost comes upon you later. And then you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. And that's taken from the book of Acts during that transitionary period. But the Bible's pretty clear that when you get saved, the, your, the Holy Ghost seals your soul. And so you're, you're in Christ and he's in you. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So, so there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. So in Colossians 1.27, it says, To whom... God would make known what is the riches of his glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's appropriate, say, it's appropriate to say we've received Christ when we've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and believe that Jesus Christ uh, is, is uh, the Son of God and we've called upon his name. All of those phrases we use when we talk about getting saved, Colossians 1.27 uh, makes that clear uh, that it is Christ that's in you. So when the Spirit of God indwells a believer, Christ indwells the believer. Now those, pretty, those are kind of like the ABCs. I think most of us understand that. But let's keep moving on and, and look at this uh, text. And so he deals with this issue of the measure in verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So what's he talking about here? Uh, does this mean we only have a portion of God's Spirit when we get saved? Uh, no, you get all this, as I teach in our discipleship, when you get all the Spirit, right, the day you get saved. Uh, but what does grow is, is, in grace is the measure of your faith. And I've already alluded to this. Go back to, to Romans chapter 12. Now, this is dealing not with salvation, but sanctification. So uh, it's dealing with people who are already saved. Uh, but it, he, Paul's really clear in Romans chapter 12. We always uh, kind of focus on verses 12, 1 and 2, which I'll go ahead and read. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is not something to be saved. Paul is, is asking people who are saved to do this, to, to give their bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, okay, then he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there needs to be some active renewing of the mind, uh, washing our, our mind in the water of the word. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, right, complete will of God. Then he says this, For I say, here's the word grace, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The measure of faith. And then he deals with very similar concept as we see in Ephesians 4. In Romans chapter 12, he transitions from this measure of faith to the membership of the body. And he goes in verse 4 and he says, For ye have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. That's exactly what he's talking about in Ephesians 4 and verse 12, is the different offices that are given as gifts to the body. We'll get to that here in just a minute. And then he talks about the diversities uh, of the body. Like all the members aren't the same. 
So we being many are one body in Christ, every one members, he says, one of another in verse 5, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And then he gets into the, some of the details of what that looks like. I'm not going to get into that t- tonight. That's a whole study into itself. But the body is diverse in gifting. And I've already submitted to you in weeks past that you are a gift to the body. So in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul is talking to those carnal Corinthians. And um, and, he, and really, I had to back up. and Let me back up to... Well, no, that's good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Paul's talking to the carnal Corinthians. And um, I'm going to back up a little bit in, in verse uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 4 goes right along with what I was saying earlier. God can do all kinds of different things with His Spirit, but it's still one Spirit. There's diversity, but there's one Spirit. Verse 5, And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. So God doesn't manifest Himself the same way in every member, but there's still one Lord, and there's one Spirit, and there's one body. Um, Verse 6, And there are diversities of operations, but the same God, which worketh all in all. And then I wanted to park here on verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit uh, with all. And so here we see that God gives uh, the manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of everybody else. So God wants us to profit the whole body. The reason that you are singled out individually, you have the Spirit of God in you, but it's for the benefit of the body. So many times when the issue of how gifts are employed through the body of Christ in in contemporary last couple decades anyway, it's always in the context of what God has given me and how God has given me this and God has given me that. And it's very rarely in the context of, you know what, this is how God is using me to bless the body of Christ. It's really not about you. It's about how God is using his spirit through you to bless the body of Christ. That's why a lot of times the gift testing is natural gifting and people never get to the place of faith where they're walking by faith and trusting God for the supernatural aspect of why God put them in the body to begin with. And so, um, you know, and it, that takes some time, obviously, for most people. We don't just jump off the diving board the first day. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we understand in time as we're sanctified that we keep growing in the measure of faith. And we realize, wow, we have the Spirit of God in us. And we trust Him as we renew our mind, as we die daily, as we submit our will to His will. We start to see fruit of the Spirit. It looks like Galatians chapter uh, 5, you know. And it's, and it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's what it's going to look like, and it's going to manifest different fruit in different members, through different members, although it's one spirit. So, um, so uh, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, because Paul writes another letter to these guys, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he's dealing again with the very same subject in verse 13. Uh, now, Paul is, is being himself, you know, being set cast they're looking down upon him and he's trying to well in this letter he's he's not he's just kind of letting them know hey guys um you know i'm paul and uh you guys need to submit 
even though you're pretty big for your britches. So anyway, he comes down here in verse 13 of chapter 10. He says, but, but we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, to uh, a measure to reach even unto you. Notice Paul is about, he's saying, look, guys, I'm not going to boast about what God's doing in me, although the next chapter he kind of does, just to kind of use an illustration. But he's saying, look, God, you know what God's doing? God is using us, and whatever he's doing through us has reached even unto you in Corinth. And that's, that's, that's what we're about. Verse 4, for, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. Uh, for we are come as far as to you, also in preaching the gospel of Christ. He's saying, guys, you know, God has brought us to you. Not boasting of things without our measure. He keeps using this word measure. That is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we will, that we share, uh, or I'm sorry, that we shall be enlarged by, your, by you according to our rule abundantly. So what Paul's saying is that, guys, we have come to you, and he uses the word measure over and over again. We're not without measure. It's according to the measure, the rule, like a ruler, you know, and what we're wanting is for God to, to, to work through you. Um, and so, so we're, not, we're not boasting without our measure. Um, we're not talking about other men's faith. We're talking about the faith that's increased from the gospel that we've preached. And we pray that it would abundantly grow in you. And he says in verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and, uh, and not to boast in another man's line of things uh, made ready to our hand. Now, that's a little bit kind of esoteric if you're, if you're not reading it and you don't know, know what's going on in context. He says in verse 17, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, for, no, for, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And really what Paul's saying is that, guys, you wouldn't be here without us. <laughs> in a very, he's trying to be subtle. But God has blessed our preaching in you, and we pray that God bless, blesses the word through you and that the gospel goes further past you. And he's trying to get their head right uh, in dealing with the measure of the gift of God. It's not about you is really what Paul's trying to say. It's about what God's trying to do through you. And so it's God's grace that we receive the message, uh, the measure of the gift of, of Christ. So how much has God blessed you with, with uh, you in Christ? Well, Ephesians 1.3 says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places uh, in Christ. And we've covered that many, many weeks ago. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so, man, that's grace. You know what grace is? It's an acronym. I, I don't know if I mentioned it Sunday, but uh, I talked about grace Sunday. But a good acronym for it is God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's what grace is. And uh, that's what Paul's talking about in verses 6 and 7. And so... Now, let's go back to our text. I'm over here in Second Corinthians. Let me pause there. Are there any questions about where I'm at thus far? Because I'm kind of throwing out some concepts here about this measure that, that Paul's talking about in chapter 4. Uh, as we come back in verse 7, But every one of us is given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Ah, Okay. In verse 8, what's he talking about here? Because there's a contrast. Uh, he gave gifts unto men. Uh, now, he says, as it is written, wherefore is it is written, or I'm sorry, wherefore is he saith, it didn't say written. 
Uh, and what he's referring to there is, a, is a Psalm 68 and verse 18. So keep your finger in Ephesians. Go back to Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalm 68 and verse 18. Psalm 68, verse 18. Uh, somebody want to read that? Actually, I should put you on the microphone. So whoever's reading, we're down to one battery on this, by the way. Anybody? Bueller? You can do it, Lisa. She's not scared. Okay, 18. 68, 18. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Okay, so this is an interesting verse, because when you contrast it with Ephesians 4.8, that's why I had you keep your finger there, uh, it actually doesn't say exactly the same thing. Oh no, we have a conflict in our Bible, it must not be true. No, uh, obviously the Word of God is exactly what God has preserved for us. So primarily the thing that, that you, you'll see differently uh, when you look at it is it says when he, in, in Ephesians 4, 8, it says, When he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, gave gifts unto men. But in the passage that Lisa just read, which is the passage that Paul's quoting from, it says that, that uh, he ascended on high and hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men in the King James Bible. So in one place it says he received gifts for men, and the next place it says he gave gifts to men, unto men. Interesting. Um, and that's why every word is important. So obviously you have a contradiction in your Bible, you should just throw it out and quit being a Christian. No, obviously not. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's silly. So there's a distinction there between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What do you think that is? way they were saved yep i think that has a lot to do with it how were they saved in the old testament yeah kept the law obviously everyone's always saved by faith but they had to keep the law and they were saved corporately in membership of the nation of israel their promises were uh, covenant promises of the old testament yeah before christ after so what does so why would he he so one's a prophecy right one's something he's going to do and one is already fulfilled. So you also got to look at it in that context. And, of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ. When Jesus ascended, he told them to wait for the Holy Ghost, right, before the Holy Ghost would descend. Um, and he did that because up to that point, the Holy Ghost still came upon men and left, like in the Old Testament. Are you guys making racket over there? <laughs> so, so the Holy Ghost came upon people like David, but he wasn't indwelling in the Old Testament like in the New Testament where you call upon the name of the Lord and boom, you're saved and the soul, your soul sealed to the day of redemption and you're baptized in the Spirit of God. That was, a, that was not happening until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't happening until, by the way, Acts chapter 2. Um, and so people were not getting, they weren't born again until Acts chapter 2. All right, so Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again, but John, he couldn't have gotten born again if he wanted to that day. Because Jesus hadn't died for his sins, been buried, and risen again. 
he hadn't ascended or descended at that point. And that's really what Paul's talking about at this point. He goes, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive, which just gives us insights to what happened at the ascension, and he gave gifts unto men. So did he come down like Christmas and start throwing packages around? You know, you got a new car, a new boat? Of course not. Um, and, and so um, let me just, just briefly talk about that, uh, this, this, uh, this gift issue. Um, because there's, a power, there's power in this parenthetical phrase in, in verses uh, 9 and 10. Because um, Paul puts a parenthesis here. So you could just read it without that. As a matter of fact, we'll do that in just a minute. But let's look at the, this parenthetical phrase because it, it goes deeper. It's diving deeper into this ascending and descending issue. He says, now he that ascended, of course that's Christ, um, uh, what is it? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul, at the end of that parenthetical phrase, gives us some insights into why he both descended and ascended because he fills all things. And we have already been talking about the fullness, verses 3 and 19, right? To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And this, this subject of fullness keeps coming up as we read in the text, this, the fullness issue. And so, um, and so, here, so here Paul goes a little, he dives a little deeper. So when we look at the ascension of Jesus Christ, uh, obviously the, first, the major issue of Jesus' ascension is found in John 20 and verse 17. And uh, you can flip over there in the, in the Gospel of John. Uh, after Jesus rose again, uh, before he ever went to the throne of God. He's not yet been to the Father. Um, Mary comes upon him, and he's like, whoa, you know, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. In uh, John chapter 20, um, I'll just back up to verse uh, 15. It says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Uh, whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not ascended to my father, uh, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascended unto my father and your, fa and your father, and to my God and your God. Now that's amazing what he says right there in verse 17. That my father is your father and my God is your God. And go tell everybody that I've gone to heaven. Okay? Well, that's pretty powerful. And so she came and told the disciples all that the Lord had spoken unto her concerning those things. So that's when Jesus ascended. And when he did that, he atoned literally at the throne of God for our sins. So like the sacrificial lamb, he was brought into the, or like, I'm sorry, like the high priest, he entered into the Holy of Holies. And uh, the, the, uh, the sacrifice was accepted. And that's why he says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. But then he comes back just minutes later, and he's like rapping with people on the road to Emmaus, having dinner with people, disappearing in midair. You know, uh, just he's just, you know, he's coming and going at will after that. You know, upper room, week later, they're all in the upper room. Jesus is just like, hey, what's up? You know, and then see you later. I'm out. You know, and he's just moving around, you know, how, as he wishes through uh, time and space because he's God. All right, so, so that's pretty wild. 
But then we see that after spending 40 days on the earth teaching his disciples, right? He, so he, he's the, he is the Passover lamb, and he rises again, uh, and he uh, goes, does the priestly work. He comes back, uh, and then he starts for 40 days, he teaches his disciples. Um, and so, and then he tells them in Acts chapter 1, this is familiar to most of us. In Acts chapter 1, he says, hey, well, you know, they're, they're interested. They're like, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, when are you going to fulfill your promises and all of that to the nation of Israel? And so he says, uh, it's not in verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, he says, it's unto, unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. And they're like, whoa, you know. And verse 10 says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which uh, also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall come um, in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Then they returned. Uh, then they returned into Jerusalem from the mount, and uh, called Olivet, which is from, uh, from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Of course, Jesus returns. Zechariah chapter twelve says he will return to that mount, and it will cleave. It will split right down the middle at the second coming. He will come back literally as he ascended physically to the third heaven. All right, so so uh, that's pretty wild stuff. Um, and then Acts chapter 2 and verse 33 says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God, where did he go? Well, Peter says he went to the right hand of God, exalted and having received the Father, the promises of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which now you see and hear. So in Acts chapter 2, he uh, poured out the Holy Ghost upon the church, and everyone could see and hear, obviously, because of the gift that was given there of tongues, so they could hear every man in his own language. And, uh, and they heard uh, what was going on as a sign to the nation of Israel. And then in Philippians 2, Paul later writes to the Philippians, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father right now. In Acts chapter 7, he was standing at the right hand of the Father when Stephen was stoned. But Israel rejected their Messiah, and he sat back down, and uh, away we go through church history. So before Jesus ascended, right, he descended. That's what Paul says, and, the, and he makes that clear there in Ephesians chapter 3. So what's that all about? Well, Matthew 1240, uh, Jesus said to, in Matthew 1240, if you want to look over there, uh, Matthew 12 and verse 40, he prophesies what he's going to do, and, and he's talking about that prophecy that, that uh, Lisa read a few minutes ago. And he says in chapter 12 and verse 40, um, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so the Son of Man, uh, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the, so, uh, the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So he's telling the religious leaders, look, uh, you know, God saved Nineveh at the preaching of Jonah, but you guys are in big trouble because you're not going to receive my teaching, and I'm much greater than Jonas, right? But he's also in the midst of telling them all that, saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to go to the center of the earth. 
and the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So he passes away uh, in the afternoon uh, of, uh, you know, on the, on the day of uh, atonement there, uh, the day of the, of the, before the Passover, because they had to get him off the cross, but before the even. Uh, and then he's in the center of the earth, at least till Saturday. And so um, for three days. And so he's, he's preaching to the captives. Colossians 2.15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So what was he doing? Well, he was down there preaching victory. He wasn't suffering for three days in the center of the earth. He had already said it is finished, and it was done on the cross. The sin was atoned for. He entered Abraham's bosom victoriously. But don't miss the dimensions here, because that's really, that's really what I believe God is also showing us here. There's something about this ascending and descending and then ascending again uh, that has to do with the dimensions that are over in chapter 3 and verse 18 that comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And I, I tied that into the, the uh, several weeks ago to the, to the uh, apostles, the prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, and, and really... Of what's going on with that. So don't miss the mentions because death, the death, the burial, and the resurrection covers the expanse of creation from hell to the heaven above, to the third heaven. And uh, that this is why the world, uh, the word, I'm sorry, all, my notes say wor- world, the word all is used. Uh, the dimensions of uh, Ephesians 3.18 are found in the deliverance of Jesus' salvation and his gift to men, which is Christ. He has covered and he has atoned for sin from hell beneath to the third heaven above, not that there was sin in heaven, but he has covered the expanse of creation, that, that he might fill all things. So Paul saw the power of the resurrection when he saw paradise in the third heaven. So in 2 Corinthians 12.4, Paul says how that he was caught up in the paradise, 2 Corinthians 12.4, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Well, wait a minute. I thought paradise was in the center of the earth. In Luke 16 it was. That's when... Lazarus died. He went to the center of the earth, and uh, and Abraham's bosom was there, and or not Lazarus. Well, Lazarus was there, but so was the rich man, uh, and uh, one was in hell, and one was in Abraham's bosom, and Abraham's bosom is paradise. Well, guess what? That's in heaven in in Second Corinthians twelve four. Why is that? Because Jesus led captivity captive, and he also gave gifts to men. So Jesus is now passed into the third heaven and filled all things as he has returned to the Holy of Holies. In Hebrews 4.14, the Bible says, Seeing then, and you hear us, we quote this a lot, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. It doesn't just say into heaven, capital H. It says, in, it says into the heavens. Jesus went through our atmosphere. He went through the second heaven. And he ended up at the throne of God in the third heaven. That's where paradise is because he delivered captivity captive. So Jesus' atonement was co- has covered the expanse of time and space. So now let's read this as if we didn't have a parenthetical phrase, which is really where I've been leading all this. So we kind of Paul wants us to have this kind of concept. He wants us to kind of chew on this. If he didn't, he wouldn't have bothered to tell us about it. He wouldn't have threw all that in there about the uh, you know ascending and descending and all of that. But let's just roll it really just clean and crisp. We're roll it. We're reading it for the first time. And take this parenthetical phrase out. And this will bring us right back. It will rubber band us right back around where we started. So he says, uh, I'll back it up to verse 6. One God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
skip verse 9, skip verse 10 in the parentheses, and gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long? Good question. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness, there's that word fullness again, of Christ. Now that we understand Jesus Christ has atoned uh, for sin, he has went from the, he has descended and he has ascended and he is all in all. Also, Ephesians teaches that. Um, we see the magnitude of his salvation. It's outstanding. It's tremendous. Um, it's incredible. So when we read that parenthetical phrase uh, without, or we, we read that text without the parenthetical phrase, he immediately jumps to um, the local church. It's amazing. And how he's going to fill all things. So that gets us back into the discussion of Ephesians 3. In Hebrews 4.14, how he passed in the heavens. And Ephesians 3.18 talks about the dimensions and all those things that we've, we've already touched on regarding uh, the apostles. So, uh, so as we read that, it's clear to see that, that God's doing something. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I mentioned that the apostles, um, uh, he says here that he gave some apostles, which we know who those guys are, but he also gave some prophets. That would be the Old Testament. And then there were also, until the completion of the Word of God, there were, there were uh, prophets of sorts in the New Testament, and then um, until the first century. And then he gave some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And he still has pastors and the teachers and evangelists to this day. All right, so, so what did he do that for? Because, well, we're his body. Um, and so God has, is working through his, his local New Testament church, and he's filling us up through these, these gifts for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 um, there's, a, there's this incredible uh, discussion here. Of, of him, he's given some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, semicolon. That's the, that's, those are gifts to the body. He has given the church, and that's not, I'm not talking about individuals. He's given the offices. He's given these people. They are people, obviously, but he's given them for the, the benefit of the church. It's not about the apostle or the prophet or the evangelists, or the pastors and teachers. It's about God expanding the church. What Paul was saying to the Corinthians is that our measure has come to you, but we want it to go further because we want the gospel to go further. So <clears throat> when, God gave, when God gave gifts, part of his plan with giving the Holy Spirit to the church was certainly what we see in, in the diversity of the gifts of the body of Christ like we see in Romans chapter 12. But it's also uh, to... Um, Build the body of Christ through these offices. For he tells he tells you in verse uh, eleven, or verse twelve, what he's doing for the perfecting of the saints. He wants to, and when it's perfecting, does that mean sinlessly perfect? It is. It's it's completing. Yeah, in the Bible, in the New Testament, that word perfecting doesn't mean we think oftentimes it's perfect like it's. And it will be someday perfect, but it's it really means complete, a completing. So he gives pastors and teachers, evangelists, and he started off with the, by the way the the apostles and prophets. We build upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, uh, Jesus Christ being the head of the corner, right? And then we keep building. Why? Because we're still Jesus Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will. Yeah, it's under construction, but we're just about done. 
Yeah, Ron. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 perfecting us. He's working on us and he's given the church to do that. So the body of Christ avoid you know without the the church uh it doesn't work. Um I mean the church is the body of Christ. So so we know who in verse 11. Um and so we've already touched on that the the apostles, the prophets and then the evangelists, the teachers. Um and the pastors, I got those out of order, pastors and teachers. Um, but the whole purpose is for perfecting of the saints. Now, the saints, you know, those aren't statues, right? Some people think saints are statues. They're not people that we say, oh, man, you know, what kind of was a saint? You know, we're going to make a statue and we're going to ask Walt to pray for us, you know, and all that. That's totally not in the Bible. Everyone that's saved is a saint. You're set apart. That's the gift that's given. So when someone gets saved, they have the gift of the Holy Ghost according to the measure of faith, which all they need is a measure of faith to get saved. But then as they, Romans chapter 12, set themselves apart, sanctification. That's what a saint is, someone who is set apart. They're sanctified. Uh, they continue to grow in that measure, in that fullness of Christ as they are in a local church with pastors and teachers and evangelists. <coughs> and then they continue to personally grow but also the body grows as they grow. So as every individual body part grows in faith, uh, guess what? So does the body of Christ grow. And, and, uh, and so we can fill all things that way. God wants us to fill up the kingdom of God because we know, we know that there's a fullness of the Gentiles that will become in. Talk about fullness. There's only so many Gentiles that will get saved. We're here to, to get them all in. And then the catching away of the church is going to happen. And God's going to turn his attention back to Israel full time um, until and get them going through the tribulation period and then the millennium. All right, so uh, the, the, the what for is, is to edify, which is interestingly close to our edify, exercise, and engage for some reason. Uh, so the perfecting of the saints, the completion of the saints for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. So um, Ephesians 2.10, we're saved unto good works. Right? We're not saved just you know, to be saved, but we're saved to do something. So we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he says in verse 10, uh, oh yeah, for, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Remember that ye being in time past were Gentiles in the flesh. So don't go back there. Right, Walk like a saint. Because you've been saved to minister. And so in verse 12, that's, there's work of ministry that is expected in the body of Christ. So it's hard to get there because in a culture that we live in today, as people have itching ears, uh, really people aren't interested in the work of ministry. They're interested in how you entertain their children and how they can keep their family unit together, which is all important. Don't get me wrong. All of us want that. I want that with my family unit. But the missing element is we're not here to be served. We're here to serve. And in our, in our consumer culture, I'm mainly talking about in America, not in other places. But in America, it's, harder, it's getting harder to have a biblical church because the mindset isn't that I'm here to serve, it's I'm here to be served. I mean, that's our whole culture in America. Um, and if, you know, I'm certainly not going to give to others. Uh, but, but that's actually the whole issue. I mean, that's what we're here to do is to minister. And frankly, as a Christian, you're not, you don't, you're not whole 
unless you're giving. The, you you want to be in a place where you can contribute, and you'll feel so much better about being in the body of Christ. If you sit back expecting everybody to meet your felt needs, you're going to be increasingly disappointed. You're going to feel disenfranchised, and eventually you're going to get disgruntled, and you're going to eventually depart. Not because we want you to, but because somewhere, you know, it's going to be easy to blame everybody else. But at the end of the day, you got to point. You got to blame yourself because it, it's all of our responsibility to forgive people and to get ourselves on track and grow. Of course, we're gracious as, because young people in the Lord don't know any different. But when people have been in the Word long enough, that's, that's on them at some point. So, uh, so these are things that pastors are supposed to remind people of and keep teaching that, hey, there is work of ministry to be done, right? We have a harvest party, to, and that harvest party is not, well, we want, it is for our kiddos, praise God. We want to feed those lambs. But it's also for everybody else's kiddos because we want to reach people with the gospel. So we're going to use that tool. At the end of the day, if we have a harvest party but we don't preach the gospel, then woe unto us if we preach not the gospel because there's work of ministry. That, this is about getting the gospel where it needs to go and filling up Cass County with the kingdom of God to the best of our ability before the Lord returns. And so, uh, so practically speaking, ministry is just, by the way, is just serving. That's all ministry is when you think of ministry. That's kind of a fancy, people kind of get all kinds of romantic notions. But just ministry is just serving and it's giving, um, you know, it's kind of like being a waiter. God, how can I serve you? What do you want me to do? And we just do it. And and uh, there's so many ways. There's so much diversity in serving. It's not just one way is the highway. This is the one way you serve. There's so, there's so much, so many ways. The people out mowing the lawn are just as important as me preaching on Sunday, are just as important as the people working with the children. There's nobody in the body that's more important than it. They're all important. They're just different. Diversity of gifts. And everyone's a gift to the body. <clears throat> and that's really what Romans and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. And God is just, in the, this passage in Ephesians 4, he's highlighting at a high level the officers that are given to the church because that's what the Ephesians needed to know. Because the Ephesians, we know from the book of Revelation, are going to have a bunch of false teachers coming in, and they're going to try them, which are uh, false teachers, and find them to be liars. And, and they're going to be commended by the Lord for that. And so they stuck to their guns on that. But... Um, he goes on to say, how long is this supposed to happen? You know, how long are we supposed to perfect saints? How long are we supposed to build people in the body of Christ? How long are we supposed to do the work of the ministry? How long are we supposed to build? That's what edify is. Uh, is, fit, is fitly framing and fitly joining here in the book of Ephesians. talks about that. We've already covered that. How long are we supposed to build the body of Christ? Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked, Paul says. Verse 13, till we all come in the, here comes, unity. Can we all get back together? Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a complete man. That man, of course, is Christ. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, man, that's why we build the body is because we're just getting ready, as, as uh, Sharon said, uh, to, 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 to uh, be unified in him. And so until Jesus comes back for us, that's what we do. We edify the saints. We do the work of ministry. We perfect the saints. We edify, uh, Here at Heartland, we had three goals. We edify folks, we exercise folks, and we then engage them in the mission. And uh, if you turn those inside out, we, we turn those into you learn about God, uh, you live out the principles you've learned, and that grows into a love relationship where you'll even sacrifice uh, to accomplish, accomplish God's mission. And so how long are we supposed to do that? Well, until Jesus comes and gets us. And then guess what we get to get measured against? 
So Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, is talking about the rule. Well, guess what the rule is? The measure is the stature and the fullness of Christ. So how many people have we taken from the pit of hell and delivered to the third heaven? You say, well, I haven't been to the third heaven. I haven't either. But we're in the business of a church as a church here in Christ's stead, reconciling men to God, men who are destined for the pit. And we, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, are able to preach a gospel that saves them from hell beneath where Jesus descended. And, and, and through God's supernatural power, he infuses them with the spirit of God by faith as they trust Christ and saves them unto good works so that they can be productive in the, in the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God can expand and we can all, when we get to heaven, we will be measured against the stature and the fullness of Christ. And we'll all lay down at his feet and say, thank you for allowing us to be part of this, because this is incredible. So when we get back together next time, next week, we're going to pick it up in verse 14 and talk about what this means to us practically. Because this is pretty heady theological type of thinking right here. But what, ha- what does that really mean to us? Well, guess what? We'll get to find out because we, t- we turn to the duty. And what you're going to find is there's a decision that has to be made. If you're going to really apply uh, what Jesus is doing in your life, you're going to have to put off the old and put on the new. It's that simple. Put off the old, put on the new. Put off the old and put on the new. That's what we're going to have to do. And he's going to be very specific and practical, so you'll want to come back. And uh, what does perfect look like? Well, you'll see it as we get into the, the, remaining, the remainder of chapter 4. Uh, and perfect isn't sinlessly perfect. It's just complete, right? To be that, you want to be the whole package. You know, that's what they, that's what, uh, you know, no, God forbid we would like Tom Brady as a quarterback, but that dude's the whole package, man. He can, he's, uh, he's a quite a quarterback. Mahomes, he looks like that, but he lost last week, so I don't know. So anyway, we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, you're looking for someone that can be the whole package, right? And the, really the only whole package is Jesus Christ. But you know what? We need to do our best uh, to measure up to that stature and fullness. And we do that, but not by serving ourselves, but by serving others and allowing the Spirit of God to work through us. And so it starts from the moment we get saved until the moment we get taken out of here. All right, so that's a summary of what we covered. Any questions on all that? That's a lot to, that we covered quite a bit today. All right, no questions? Well, uh, remember this before I pray. Um, Harvest party's coming up the 24th, so we got two a week in, well, a week from Saturday. So how many are, we're involved in harvest party. Any of y'all involved in harvest party? Lisa? All right. Well, you guys are welcome and wanted, so uh, if you want to jump in on that, we'd love to have you help out with that. If you're online, uh, tell everybody you know. Get on Facebook, share it. If you're watching online, tell everybody you know. Come out. It'll be a great time. We're going to be out in the back, Lord willing. Pray for good weather that it doesn't rain or get too cold. It'll be just right. Nice and Laodicean. No, I'm just kidding. Nice, uh, just, just right for that. And uh, it'll be a good time. So that'll, that'll be excellent. Also, uh, our flip-flops are in the foyer. Uh, man, Heartland was ex- did exceedingly abundantly what Lee asked or thought. So just we almost got 500 just at Heartland. And praise God for that. And you all raised like over 200, I think, in money just to get, get it all there. So... Man, you, you just knocked it out of the park on that, so I praise God for that. All right, so let's go ahead. Uh, Nathan, is your daughter, you still need to be praying for her?